Well, hello, Northview. It is an honor to be with you, and I want to welcome everybody in the room, everybody online at all of our campuses. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of your lead pastor. Uh, I know that um, you, you like him because he's your lead pastor, but you need to know that he is well-respected, well-revered, and generally considered one of the nicest people anybody's ever met by everybody else uh, that's, uh, that knows him outside of this place. And he's just, he's an incredible guy. And I think that's all he told me to say about him. So. <laughs> So make sure I get all those right. Oh, and incredibly handsome. He mentioned that, but that's another thing. Anyway, so no, it really is. It's an honor to have gotten to know him over the last few years and to have a chance to be here with you. And he's going to be with us in January uh, talking about uh, his new book and uh, Creatures of Habit. It's going to be so huge for, for our church, as I know it has been for you as well. So as he mentioned, I do pastor a church out in Southern California. We're in a, a, a community just north of Los Angeles, uh, which is where Magic Mountain is, part of the Six Flags family, also the original Wally World, if you remember the movie Vacation. Yes, that was filmed there. So that's our claim to fame. The other claim to fame we have is if you've watched uh, 24 in season six, we took a nuclear bomb. So anyway, <laughs> we've recovered. Jack Bauer has helped us. We're all right now, uh, but continue to pray for us. Uh, I, I am not originally from California. I grew up in Kansas, okay? And when you grow up in Kansas, you have one mission in your life to get out of Kansas, okay? And so I made it out, I went to Missouri, okay? And I went there for school. It was, a, you know, kind of wading the waters. I got over there to school, uh, met my wife, and then we, we moved to Kentucky. Don't worry, they didn't turn me into a Wildcat fan, okay? I know those are bad words around here, so we'll just say uh, go Hoosiers. Anyway, so um, when, I, when I was in Kentucky, uh, we had a great run there at a church for about nine years, and I got this call from this church out in California that was brand new, a couple years old, meeting in a movie theater. Their lead pastor had just left, and they called me. And I, I said what you're supposed to say as a pastor, well, I'll pray about it. And nine months later, we were moving out there. And when you move to California, uh, it is a bit of a culture shock, as you would imagine, because when you grow up and live in the Midwest, like I had, California is a place that you visit, not a place that you live. And so I didn't think I'd ever live there. Be careful when you tell your plans to God, right? And so I ended up in California. We've been there 18 years now, and it's been a wild ride, and, and we've, we've loved, loved so, so much of it. But there's been some crazy moments as well. I think about as soon as we moved there. Uh, we moved there in June, and it was, uh, you know, kind of all new to us, and, and it was my wife and I and our, our oldest daughter, our only daughter at the time, was about nine months old, and, and we were getting to know our community we'd moved into, and they had a little, a little community pool that everybody in their houses would come down to the community pool and hang out on the weekends, and I thought, this is a great thing for us to do, because we're still a new church, and we're still getting to know the community, and not everybody knows who real life church is, and I'm a new pastor, so I'm, I'm gonna go down there and I'm gonna hang out at the pool on the weekend. So I tell my wife this, she thinks this is a great idea, we'll all go, we'll get bathing suits and we'll head down there. So we, we go to get the swimsuits at the mall. Here's the problem. When you go to get a swimsuit in June in California, they're sold out. They usually get sold out in February, all right? So I've, I gotta find a suit. I'm going through all the stores looking for a suit and I find one, one suit only, hanging on a rack in a store and it's bright orange. And I thought, well, 
I, that's not necessarily my color, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it. That's fine, whatever. And so Saturday comes along. I get suited up. Our daughter, we put the little suit on her. My wife gets suited up. We get ready. We go down to the community pool. I get in the pool, and I'm, you know, splashing around with our daughter. And then I hand her over to my wife because some other people have shown up. And I said, all right, I'm going to go meet some people. So I get up, and I go meet some people. I tell them about the church, talk to them about uh, we're moving out. And, you know, the church that's meeting, meeting in the movie theater and everything. And so then I get back in the water. And I'm sitting there on the step next to my wife and daughter. My wife looks at me and she says, Rusty, what is all over your suit? I said, what do you mean? I looked down and apparently this suit had blue images that began to appear <laughs> when it got wet. Friends, I wish I could tell you it was crosses and doves and Bible verses. It was topless women. I've been out walking around. Hey, how you doing? I'm the new pastor at the church. Real life church. Clothing optional, you know. I mean, what in the world? I mean, there was no, there was no label on the side of it that said caution may contain porn or anything like that. I was totally stunned by that. So I did what you're supposed to do. I put a towel around myself, got out of there, and we moved. We just got out of town, you know. Now, I know you've probably not had something like that happen to you before, but you've had something happen where you thought, boy, this is not what I thought it was, right? Maybe for you, it was a neighborhood you moved into. Maybe for you, it was some neighbors that you got. Maybe for you, it was the college you attended or maybe the career path that you chose, and it just wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Maybe for you, it was, uh, you know, getting into a relationship. Or maybe when you got married and you thought, oh, my goodness, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And I know for many of us, we've had that experience with God. We've heard other people tell their experiences about God. We've heard other people talk about the miracles in their life. And we decide to become a Christ follower. We give our lives over to God. We start going to church and we start praying. And it doesn't seem like our prayers are getting through like somebody else's. It doesn't seem like God is answering our prayers like he is somebody else's. And you hear somebody talk about, oh, I just prayed about it, and I was driving through the parking lot at the mall on Black Friday, and somebody backed out of a parking space on the front row, praise God. And you think, well, that's cool, but I've just been praying for my mom not to die of cancer, and I'm not seeing anything. I stand up in the lobby after services at our church and talk to people, and they'll come up to me, and they'll They'll tell me about what's going on in their life and the private pain that they're dealing with. And I'll say, have you prayed about it? And they'll say, yeah. But I must not be getting through because nothing's happening. And they look at me and they want to know what we all want to know in is what do I do next? I mean, is there anything I can do after my prayers that might actually impact the answer to my prayers? prayers. I mean, we, we've got all of these resources about how to pray and what to say when we pray, but what do we do after we pray, and could it actually have an impact on the prayer itself? Because all of us have had that experience before where you feel like you have just texted God, and the little bubbles come up with the little dots in it, and you think he's going to respond, and then nothing. 
And we felt like, has God ghosted us? Have I done something wrong? Am I supposed to do something next? Because I've prayed and I've heard nothing. What can I tell you? I've been there too. I've prayed and watched people still die. I've prayed and seen people still get divorced. I've prayed and still felt anxiety in my life. What do we do after we pray? So I got real curious about this a few years ago. And I decided to go back and look at every encounter Jesus had with somebody else. Because when they came up and asked him a question, that was like their prayer. They were asking for him to do something in their life. Can you fix this? Can you fix this person? Can you help with this? And what I found was Jesus very rarely looked at them and said, sure. Most of the time, he had something for them to do next. And what they did next impacted the answer that they got. And so what I found was there were about seven things that Jesus tells us to do after we say amen, which has direct bearing on whether or not we get what we've asked for or whether or not we see what we've been given. And I put them all in this this book that that Steve mentioned earlier called After Amen. We went through it as a church, and, and it was so fun to see kind of like the light bulb come on for all of us of, oh, this is what I do next. And, and if you're not a reader, it's on Audible as well. And I think we've got some copies around here. You can get it online. But, but what I wanted to do in our time together today is I want to share one of them with you. Because I know that every single one of us, even if you're not sure what it is you believe about Jesus or God, even in those moments, you have had those moments where you've cried out to God and then you've wondered, what do I do now? And when things don't work out the way that you wanted, you tend to think, I must have done something wrong or I'm not spiritual enough, but actually it could be that God's waiting for us to do something next. I wanna tell you one of those. This comes from one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can open up to John chapter two. This was written in the first century by one of Jesus' closest friends. In fact, uh, we learned that he's actually Jesus' very best friend and he witnesses all these things going on and he sits down later and he writes all these things down. And in this particular passage we're gonna read, Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding. Now, here's what I love about this story. At this point, it's about 30 AD, and the only people that know who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, the only people that really know are Mary, his mother, and John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. But nobody's really listening to John the Baptist because he seems crazy, and and Mary's not telling anybody just yet, and Joseph knew, but he's passed away by this point. Jesus has started teaching and calling some disciples to follow him, but he's not yet done any miracles, and they don't yet know who he really is. They just think he's a really cool teacher, and no other teachers ask them to follow him, so they're following Jesus. Well, Jesus gets invited to this wedding, and back then, can I just say this, because we all think it, they actually wanted to go to the wedding. Let's just be honest, you dread that wedding on Saturday afternoon during college football season, just like I dread doing that wedding, okay? All of us have that same feeling. Let's just be honest with each other here, because I know I've not done any of your weddings, so I can talk about how I don't want to do weddings on Saturdays in college football season. Anyway, Jesus got invited to this wedding, and he did not RSVP with regrets. He decided to go. Weddings were a big deal back then. People would show up, and they'd stay for days at this wedding. And people would bring food, and they'd bring wine, and they would celebrate for days. In fact, they counted on these resources so much that if you threw a wedding and you did not have enough wine, 
you could be sued. And this isn't even California we're talking about, okay? <laughs> this is over in Israel. And they were so, so passionate about this. They wanted to make sure there was enough refreshments for everybody. So Jesus shows up, and Mary goes to Jesus, and she says, son, I think they're about out of wine. I see them in the back. They're watering it down, and I don't think they're going to have enough for everybody for the next few days. And Jesus' response is fascinating. Take a look at what he says. Dear woman... That's not our problem. <laughs> Does that sound like the Jesus we learned about holding sheep, you know, and talking to everybody? All? No, this is, dear woman, that's not our problem. Are you kidding me? Every junior high and high school student right now is thinking, the next time my mom asks me to do something, <laughs> I'm going to say, dear woman, that's not my problem. L listen, you're not Jesus, okay? Let's just say it like that. But if you look at this in the original language, you know what this means? Dear woman is a way of saying ma'am. It's a sign of honor. And to say that's not our problem is basically them saying, we weren't in charge of bringing that. We brought potato salad. I don't know who was supposed to bring the wine, but that's not on us. Basically, this is Mary's prayer to Jesus. Will you fix this? Now, what do you and I do when we ask Jesus to fix something? we feel like we have to keep going back and begging and begging and begging and begging till we twist his arm or wear him down. Mary doesn't do that. Instead, this is what she says. She looks at the servants, not even Jesus, and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, I don't know if Mary looks at Jesus like a mother would look at her son and kind of raises an eyebrow and then looks at the servants, but whatever the case is, she knows her son well enough to know that he knows best. And if he's gonna perform a miracle, great. If he doesn't, she trusts him. And she trusts him enough to tell the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. Sometimes when I do do a wedding, and we walk through this story together, I'll look at the couple and I'll say, you wanna know the secret to a good marriage? <laughs> do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Love like he says to love. Serve like he says to serve. Forgive the way that Jesus forgives. Do whatever he tells you to do. That's a great wedding. That's a great marriage. And Mary looks at the servants and she just says, just do whatever he says. And she walks away. She trusts him that much. Well, I don't know how much time passes here, but John tells us that soon this is what happens. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Now let's stop right there for a second. This is highly symbolic. And John's writing this about 30 years after the fact. He's putting this all together of what's going on here. These ceremonial washing jars were there for Jews to come in and purify themselves before they ate, before they worshiped. Jesus is about, spoiler alert, he's gonna turn these jars filled with water into wine. Wine is representative of Jesus' blood as we learn about at communion in the Last Supper. And Jesus' blood now purifies us from all sin. You see the symbolism here going on? This is incredible. 
What the Jews used to have to do constantly, Jesus is about to do once and for all and finally. And oh, by the way, he's about to use these to perform his very first miracle. These jars are huge. He goes on to say each of these could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Now catch this. This is not they get a garden hose and start filling them up and go to the next one and then the next one. There are six of them, and they've got to drag them down to the river, fill them up. Now they're going to weigh 300 pounds, and they've got to collectively haul them back on a Saturday dressed for a wedding in the heat six times. This goes on once twice, three times, four, five, and then six. And when it's all done, look what it says. When the jars had been filled. Can we just say that together at all of the locations right now? And even if you're sitting at home alone, let's say this out loud. When the jars had been filled. Now stop there, because that is huge. Not when the fourth jar had been brought up, not after the jar had been dipped down in the river and they bring it up and suddenly now it's wine, but when all the jars had been filled, now he says dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions and when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew the MC or the wedding coordinator calls the bridegroom over and he says, hey, a host always serves the best first and then when everyone has had a lot to drink, then he brings out the box wine, okay? Then comes out the cheap stuff. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and catch this, and his disciples believed in him. Now, I want you to notice what has just happened here. Mary prayed, and then she trusted, and then she walked away, and then the servants started to work. And it wasn't after the first trip to the river, or the second, or the third, but after the sixth trip to the river, did they finally see the miracle. In other words, God is faithful, not just while we wait, but while we work. Could it be that the prayer that you have prayed, it's not that God is saying no, you're just on your fourth trip to the river. And God is waiting for you to continue to take the steps before the miracle catches up with you. As pastor and author Mark Batterson says, before God does the super, sometimes he waits for us to do the natural. So here's the first thing that you do while you're waiting on God. You keep working while you're waiting. You keep working while you're waiting. Now, you think about this. You know this to be true in other areas of life, right? If you've opened up a business and it's going really well and you want to open up a second store, you don't shut that one down to go work on the second one. You keep that one going to see if the second one will take. 
If you're, uh, you know, if you've got a career path going and you think this is pretty good, but you want to change careers, you start doing some night classes and testing the water until you're ready to take that second step, that second leap. If you're in a relationship, you know, you, you keep working on it and praying about it. You don't just jump out of it and assume it's going to get better. If you're helping your, your, uh, you know, your, your freshman-aged daughter on her algebra and she aces a test, you don't say, pulling you out of school, taking you right to NASA. You're ready. Here we go. No, she keeps going through the process. You keep working while you're waiting. And the same thing is true in our prayers to God. We pray and then we keep doing the work. And God's miracle catches up to us along the way. So here's the question I want you to think about. I want you to think about what it is you're praying about right now. And this is the fill in the blank that's your homework. God, I'd really like you to what? But until then, I will keep doing this. God, I'd really like, I'd really like to have a different job. But until then, I'm going to work like I'm working for you. God, I would really like for you to heal my relationship with my adult kids. I was not the best parent, but I'm not gonna guilt them or manipulate them or throw temper tantrums. I'm just gonna love them the way that you love them while I wait for them to return. God, I, I really like you to help my spouse start coming to church, but I'm not going to manipulate or bring ultimatums or, or, or pout or be mean. I'm just gonna love them just the way that you would. God, I'd really like you to change my boss's heart. The work environment's so toxic and there's so much uh, cheating and, 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 and just stepping on each other along the way. But I, you know what? I'm gonna be the best version of a Christian there at that office that I can be. God, what is it that you wanna do while I keep doing what you've already told me to do. I think about this woman in our church who desperately wanted her husband to come to church, but he was not interested. So she decided, and this was pre-COVID, she decided to start watching online on her laptop and then just go sit next to him. So wherever he was, she just found herself sitting next to him. Hey, it's time for church. Logged in, watched it. He's sitting there next to her, and eventually he starts looking over her shoulder Eventually, he starts joining her, and eventually, he starts coming to church with her. I think about a woman named Rose. Rose and her husband had been married about a year when he got drafted to go to Vietnam. He went away to Vietnam. She stayed back, and she became friends with the neighbor, and the neighbor invited her to church. Rose had never been to church before, but she started going because she didn't have anything else to do and like this neighbor, and she ended up just getting ambushed by the grace of God like so many of us have, and she decides to become a Christ follower. Well, she decides to write her husband over the other side of the world and let him know, I've started going to church, and I'm a Christian now, and he wrote her back and said, good for you, but I'll never go. He came back from Vietnam, and, and uh, she continued going to church and never really pressured him, didn't make a big deal about it, didn't come home and, and explain everything she'd learned. She just was just her kind, ordinary self. And one day he said, oh, I'll go check it out. And after a few times, he just got ambushed by the grace of God as well, and he became a Christ follower. And a couple years later, they had a baby girl. And 22 years after that, I married her. And I am so grateful 
for the home that she was raised in. It was all because Rose kept working while she was waiting. I think about a boy named Ryan. <laughs> Ryan was a high school student. And uh, I went with our high school students one time to uh, their version of summer camp, CIY, which you know, many of you might have heard of before. And so they went away to CIY. I went with them. Hundreds of kids go into this thing. It was a great week. At the end of the week, we began our six-hour trek back home. And about halfway through, we decided to stop at McDonald's. There's nothing like pulling in a couple of huge coach buses into McDonald's and seeing the look of terror on people's faces <laughs> as they run to the line and the workers start quitting and walking off the job. You know, it's just, it's something, right? So this line of kids stretches out almost outside and I, I walk up and I think, I'm just thinking selfishly. I'm thinking, I don't want to wait in that line. So I walk up to this kid named Ryan, who I know. He's about halfway through in line. I walk up and I hand him $20. And I said, would you get me a number three and get whatever you want and bring me the change? He had a stunned look on his face. I just assumed it was because of my incredible generosity in this moment. Not so much. I went and sat down. A few minutes later, Ryan was done. He brought me my food, my change. He took his food and went over and sat with some friends. Got back on the bus a little bit later and another hour into our journey, Ryan came up and said, can I sit down next to you? I said, sure. So I want to tell you what happened back there and why I seemed so just stunned when you approached me. I said, okay. He said, last night during the chapel experience at CIY, they talked about this mission organization they were going to take up an offering for and give all the money to that organization. And I just felt like God was telling me, give everything you have to this. And all I had left was my lunch money for today. But I gave it anyway. I said, Ryan, let me get this straight. Last night you gave all your money and today you still got in line? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty incredible right there. And he said, yeah, I just figured God would do something. Turns out his stunned look wasn't so much about uh, my generosity, but more about God's. You know, what's the line God wants you to get in? Maybe you're just on your fourth trip to the river. Maybe God's waiting to do the super until you do the natural. I just know when we look at the life of Jesus, there's stuff we do after we say amen that impacts the prayer we just prayed. And God is with you while you work and while you wait. Take heart. He has heard your prayer. Now join him in what he wants to do. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you for people like Ryan and Rose that remind us just to keep working while we're waiting. Thank you, God, that we see these stories of people that were given a task and told what to do next and they were not left alone. You encouraged them, you walked with them, you brought the miracle to them. And God, thank you that we are not alone while we wait and that you are encouraging us and energizing us to work while we wait. What is it you want us to do next? What's the next right thing you would have us to do? God, I thank you for this incredible church 
And I pray your continued blessing on them, that you would use them to continue to impact not just the city and not just the state, but all across the world as they have for so many years. And I pray that we would get to see the work that not only we are doing together, but the work that you're going to do as a result of that effort. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.